Welcome to Sustainably in Love with your hosts Sebastian and Guilherme. We're going to be embarking ourselves on an endless journey to raise massive awareness debunking sustainability in fashion. Yeah, right, everyone talks about it, but what do they really mean? Is it organic, recycled, plastic-free products? Slow fashion circular economy business models? Or maybe all the way up to ethical fashion and fair trade social values? So much to debunk, so much to uncover. Come on, join us and let's get into it. So hi everyone and welcome to Sustainably in Love. I mean, people do say that uh, the way you start a project can define its future in some way, LL. Uh, well, if so, uh, co-hosting here at Sustainably in Love will be destined for greatness because I have the honor of interviewing one of the most influential individuals in fashion, uh, especially when it comes to sustainability and innovation. I have alongside me Lisa Lang. Lisa, how are you? Uh, thank you so much for this uh, opportunity i'm really i do feel blessed to have a first episode with you i must say this well thank you so much for having me and inviting me to to speak it's like i'm always happy to share our projects um and also in what an exciting and scary time we are having this conversation right um the world is a different place as it was a few months ago um but we have to see the opportunity in the chaos for sure um, i think that uh, we will see this this timing right Liz. although we may be talking circumstantially about covid19 this is evergreen in the sense that this is going to be a, an historical moment for sure yes it is so uh, allow me to just uh, briefly introduce to the ones that maybe uh, aren't aware of all the scope that Lisa uh, has been showing in the fashion industry uh, so far. And correct me, Lisa, if any part of my research isn't that accurate. Okay, you have the free power to, uh, to correct me anytime, but uh, just a couple of just <laughs> a couple worry, of punchlines <laughs> as the as a boilerplate. Okay, Lisa. So. Um, uh, uh, and we are going to cover that. I think that Lisa, you weren't destined in the first early days to to fashion, but you came up uh, discovering this uh, this industry. You know, a couple uh, you've launched a fashion tech label Electro Couture in 2013 or 14, um, and uh, quite soon you've diversified into investing and brand consultancy. Uh, a lot of you may know Lisa also from the creation of the Powerhouse Group that. For me, it, does, it did become a, a leading agency for, for fashion tech and wearable tech and smart textile in, in particularly. Uh, Lisa has been collaborating with the German government, with the European Union for the future of fashion. Lisa has been speaking to a lot of the major events out there, TEDx, the Web Summit. I think, Lisa, you were a part also of, uh, of the Business of Fashion Report of the State of the Fashion, correct? In the 2019. Yes. So yes. amazing. Uh, what more can I say? Some individual takings for you, Lisa, as well. One of Forbes Europe's top 20 women in tech, uh, one of the 25 leaders in fashion and technology worldwide, uh, and one of the 50 most important women for innovation and startups in the EU. EU. So Lisa, again, I think that shows even more clearly what an honor this is. And uh, um, I really like to start, you know, with what you're doing right now, because we have been talking and I know that you have an amazing project uh, called In Fundamento, which is based in Portugal. So for us, uh, even a major inspiration in that sense. I know that you have two initiatives ongoing, one already more than 100% backed on Kickstarter, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about that uh, kind of initiatives that you have been undergoing recently? 
Yes. Um, well, uh, you know, how, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, just to like go like a step back, it's like the reason why I actually moved to Portugal. Yeah. So like I moved uh, to Portugal, to Porto, Portugal, uh, mid of last year. Um, and it was actually the result of a longer journey because like with me starting with electrocouture, I just want to co combine two passions together you know, me as a software engineer and a maker and, you know, loving electronics, but at the same time, fashion. And it actually started with frustration because I was like, well, I always feel like I have to choose. So either I'm like pretty wearing fashion, but it doesn't have a function or I wear something with function, wearable technology, but it doesn't necessarily always look pretty. And my definition of pretty is like, it has to be useful. Um, it has to be emotional and it has to be easy for people to wear and it doesn't have to, you know, you don't want to look like a robot because people are afraid of technology because they're scared to lose their humanity. And, um, and that is actually what design and fashion can resolve because fashion is very emotional and it also, it's a very good front end to make fashion accessible. Um, so that, that's why I started with electrocouture. I wanted to make variable light because light is very pretty, LED lights, but it's also a super smart technology. And then in that, it, it kind of like started as an experiment. I still had a job, you know, so like it started around 2013 and I, and I did it like at nighttime in the weekend um, while I was um, still working for, for a company. I worked for Twilio, the voice over IP company exactly. and uh, launched Germany for them. So, um, and then in, in 2014, I like on paper started the company in 2015, I quit my job and kind of like jumped off the cliff. I think this is like, you know, every entrepreneur feels like that, where you know, you, you feel like you jump off a cliff and try to figure it out while you're falling, you know, how to, how to make a parachute. Um, so you don't hit the ground <laughs> that hard. Um, so, and then I like, I started the journey and like two things happened. Um, one thing is like that I realized, you know, I have to learn how to make money. Um, and actually with trying to make money, I actually realized that I created another product which I can make money with. And that is uh, selling my expertise in this field. Uh, and that's how the powerhouse, the powerhouse was born. Group, it's, it's, yeah. it's simply just a consultancy agency because we have, a lot of customers in the technology industry, but also in the fashion industry. And on the one side, I do like matchmaking. On the other side, it's a lot about education. Um, one of those projects we in the powerhouse were actually meant to start this year was, um, uh, uh, I was meant to start a uh, course in Polymota in Florence uh, teaching digital fashion. And uh, then COVID started and we are still like on freeze with that and we'll see what we have to happen, what's happening with there. But uh, the topic of education is very important, like joining the skill set of technology together with fashion. So we need a new generation of fashion technologists um, in order to create new products. Uh, so that was one thing I've learned with the journey of electrocouture. The other thing what I've learned was, well, but there are no manufacturing solutions. So this is not a matter of like having ideas of like implementing electronic sensors or like smart textiles into the context of fashion. So technology wise speaking in terms of textile production or also in terms of electronic production, um, it is actually possible, but 
if you want to join it together and actually create a product which is very well made, uh, you know, sustainably certified in Europe, there was nothing there. And that took me a while to figure it out, but also to figure out what could be the solution for that. And uh, me starting the Portuguese company, O Fundamento, which is the English word for the fundament, you know, the, 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 the name is the game. Um, uh, so for me, it's like that third company also like closest to loop and like, what do you need in an ecosystem? If you want to have like truly innovative product, you also need a manufacturing solution. And because there was nothing there, I just like simply again had to say like, well, then I have to do it. Right. Um, and moving to Portugal, it was like, because like I've, I've been to Portugal many, many times in the last five, six years, I have friends there. Um, uh, uh, and then I just realized that Porto is the secret hub of makers and factories. And there is so much infrastructure there, but also of course, from my perspective as a, person from a different world and also from an entrepreneurial perspective, I saw more than just what it was, the manufacturing, you know, heaven. It was like, okay, so they have machines, they have expertise. And if I just like find, you know, just like one or two factories or crazy people like me to listen to me, we can actually do this together. And uh, so the plan last year actually with All Fundamental was to, do exactly that, like, you know, be the, be, be the B2B service for everybody who wants to work, has, wants to bring products on the market with fashion technology, um, that we are actually going to become the to-go manufacturing service for like, okay, you have an idea, you have a USB, uh, um, you know, you have your brand, but like now somebody has to make it. So like we are the back end, so to speak. And that was the, that was the situation before COVID hit. We actually had a, um, a, you know, a handful of really exciting projects um, lined up. Um, we, we teamed up with a lot of big companies and we were just about, <laughs> just about to get started. And then COVID-19 hit. And that was also in the time where um, we were just in the middle of our first community project uh, the knitting project what you just referred to which we put on kickstarter because so just to explain the difference between our community projects and our b2b projects b2b projects are awesome because you can scale them very quickly if you do it correctly but also they're usually not very sexy in terms of you know marketing or talking to journalists especially also in b2b you actually can't talk that much about it because you're blasted with ndas so at the same time, I said, okay, but, you know, it's, I'm always very much concerned to bring it back to the community, uh, do storytelling, infotainment, you know, the best way how to explain complex new concepts is by combining it with art and making it pretty. So we did the knitting project because I wanted to show that, you know, do you know that manufacturing machines are simply like computers? As a matter of fact, the first computer was a textile machine. And uh, the binary code, which we are all working with now, is actually based on the punch card of a textile machine. If you look at the um, um, traditional punch card, um, it's, it's uh, holes and blanks. Yeah. Um, so holes and blanks, holes and blanks, zeros and ones, zeros and ones. From that's, that's the inspiration of the binary code. So 
uh, that expertise already is there. Just like people simply forgot how things get made. And I just wanted to show it with the knitting project and say like, look, you know, the, the way how the machines work is just like, it just reads a pixel and it turns it into a loop. It's simple as that. And I was like, so of course I can explain it in a very abstract way with like binary code whatsoever. I'm like, how about we just do it and show it that it's actually possible. And of course we teamed up with artists, uh, with the fantastic Rasa Pash. She is an amazing painter from, from Portugal and with uh, Anna Nistroy, who is a digital pattern making from um, Berlin, in Germany. And, and I just like, so I simply did what I always do. Like I create, I bring people together. I connect dots and, you know, um, I know that I know that I don't know everything. So I always have involved people to work together with me. So we started an editing project and it was like art meets technology and it's so pretty and it's made in, in, in Portugal, super high uh, uh, quality. And that COVID hit in the middle of the campaign. And we were just like, uh-oh. Um, and I'm like, okay, so like, how do we, on the one side, we're like, okay, how can we, you know, continue this art project while people losing their jobs, while people dying, while the world is going upside down? How can we justify what we're doing? And then we actually, I sat down with a team. I have like uh, three amazing ladies working uh, with me in, in uh, Portugal, uh, uh, Joana Laquerta, who is our head of business. Um, and um, uh, Livia Pinet, who is like our head of research, and Hannah Nunes, who is our head of operations. So we all sat together and said like, uh, we have to do a reset. Like, is that what we're doing? Does it actually fit in this new world? And the answer was yes, because also as a part of the campaign, it was like, support your local makers, support your local factories. And what COVID-19 showed is like, how important it actually is to make things locally. Um, because you don't have to ship it across the world. Uh, you can adapt far faster and quicker if you have the people around the corner. And simply also, if everything goes down, you know, and burns up, um, ashes are a good fertilizer and they help you to really focus on what, what you really want to do and achieve. So um, I think it was like within 48 hours, we changed the perspective of the campaign and turned it into like save your local factories uh, campaign um and also it was like the craziest emotional time ever because you know in the meantime all of our projects we had lined up for all of our companies got cancelled or stalled you know and in the same time we 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 kept kickstarter up and uh, up and running so it, it was for us always you know, also like we did that pivot public in life in front of everyone because the campaign was going on um and you know in the meantime i also like had to keep the spirits up for the team and said like look i know this is a very difficult time but like we're in this together and um uh but this is also like the point exactly that you know when all of the economies stopped the support for creative industries cancelled uh, um, um a lot of funds for for artists we said like no we are making a very conscious decision that we're saying, especially in this time, it's even more important to work with art because like when you're under a lot of stress, when you're like in despair, when you don't know what's going on, looking and working with something pretty is, is, is you know, it's, nurt it's nurturing your soul. 
And that's and, and from that thought, we got the energy to keep up and stand up every day and try and try and try and try. Because I said, like, I refuse to die. I refuse to. Not now. Not now. We were so close. And um, and then we finally did it. We actually survived and we got um, overfunded. And as we speak, my team is actually now going back into the factory. We are, we are now fulfilling the orders and we very soon will be able to, to ship the, the knitted designs. It's amazing, Lisa. And indeed, uh, one of the things that I will definitely do with this podcast is to, to mention that storytelling uh, that you've made on the Knitting Project. Is, uh, you and the team, of course, is, is beyond amazing. I think the Bauhaus exper- uh, inspiration is also amazing there. And uh, so many notes that I took from this first answer. I mean, indeed, the importance of producing locally. I think that the crisis, especially when it started in China, just quite early made us understand that we are, and maybe especially Europe in that sense, in, a, in a quite a bottleneck if we don't get the capacity of, you know, giving more importance and skill to the, to the more local uh, manufacturing for sure. And also love what you said there about in the beginning of the answer about education, right? And that's, that leads me to one question, Lisa, which is, you know, you are a true believer of technology in fashion and heart combining this all together as the main driver of change in the industry towards sustainability as well. And, and my question there, Lisa, would be, where do you think that interception actually starts, let's say between technology or, or even better, where does it need to start the, the interception between, you know, fashion and technology? Would you say, you know, at a very early stage, I would imagine of a sourcing level or even prior, of course, through design? It starts far, far earlier. It yeah. starts with the people. Yeah. It starts with their brain and with their hearts and with their hands. Because uh, technology is a tool. Technology is there to obey to you. Um, uh, the power is with the designer, is with the creator, is with the, with, with the creative people. And by the way, I consider a technologist as much being creative as a designer because they have one thing in common they are problem solvers yeah you know mm-hmm. um design is here to serve technology also if you combine both of them the world is your oyster so one of all of the lo- a lot of projects what we've been doing with the powerhouse is actually when you bring a textile engineer a fashion designer an electronic engineer and and a software engineer together in one room and now this is like not the beginning of a bad joke you know it's like dot 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 going into a bar dot 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 (laughs) um no it's actually the reality and the first thing the very very first thing is like to understand that we are all emotional creatures to understand that like you know as humans we are creatures of habits that also means, you know, we are, everybody has a comfort zone. And at the moment where you take them away from the comfort zone, they get insecure or worried, and, but also like they block. Yeah. And that is, that is a notional thing. And um, so you have to take it the other way around. It's like why, when, when people feel insecure, it's because they don't know. And they need to feel comfortable to exactly voice that. And um, so everything starts with explaining each other's world. You know, it's just like a, a, the, the electronic manufacturing industry has a complete different workflow and time scale uh, um, and deadlines than the fashion industry has, right? So it's kind of like those two people would usually naturally never meet in the normal world. It's kind of like, you know, Mars and Venus 
uh, you know, yeah, they're in the same universe, but they never get close to each other. So there has to be somebody in a little space rocket from Earth, just like traveling between Mars and Venus all the time to explain. So like, this is also the work what I always did is like, you know, curate, bringing people together and then translate. So like, because for instance, the word production means in uh, uh, electronics industry, something totally different when you say that word to a fashion, fashion designer. So exactly. it simply starts with the definition of words and terms, but also like emotions. Um, it's uh, in terms of curation, it's very important that you not only match people with skills, but also people with skills and their personalities together. And that's also like a culture clash in terms of diversity, of age, of experience, uh, uh, and something, something like that. So that's where it actually starts, because everything else, like what kind of technology we are doing, what kind of story we want to tell with whatever product, that quite frankly is actually quite easy, because you know, it's always so amazing for for designers who are like a little bit far away from, from technology and electronics to actually realize what is possible. What is like really, really possible. It's in the in the last 10 years, the, the innovation, what happened with software engineering, but also in electronics has, you know, has been so fast and and so crazy but also like so quickly that like, you know, uh, fashion industries just simply just didn't keep up. Um, uh, so, so this is the first step. It starts with the humans. For sure. And I was, I was hearing about you and kind of remembering that the, the what people used to talk about the Kodak example where they did keep, didn't keep up with the pace. And one of the things that yeah. I feel and I wanted to ask you about, because when we usually are hearing about you know uh technology in fashion it does seem to be always regarding you know optimizations here and there but i feel that what you propose is is a lot different is a more futuristic approach in that sense and a true disruption based on functionality at least that was my grasp of things um <laughs> yeah. do you do you see it that way and what can be those those clothes of the future lisa in that sense yeah so uh first so my approach is the Bauhaus mentality, yeah. right? That we just need, this is quite frankly, also like, I'm sorry for all of those software engineers and people in e-commerce are going to kill me for that. But, you know, <laughs> you know if, if for a lot of people, when you, when you talk about fashion technology, they think about e-commerce first. Exactly. Um, e-commerce is, for me, is a, syst a, a symptom treatment. It's kind of like if you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Because it's just <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's the, it's, trying to sell a product which hasn't changed for a very long time in a different way. And that's why for me, it's symptom treatment while the underlying issue is the product itself. It's fashion. It's a fashion item itself. E-commerce just um, a sales channel, right? In the end. It's a sales channel. Yes. Yes. I'm like not saying like, of course, you know, it's really important in terms of digitizations to, you know, move offline things online and make it accessible to the global market. Uh, of course. And, you know, of course it's not, it's not easy. It's like, you know, running a really full on, you know, uh, e-commerce back end is, is, is a piece of art, right? You know, I still read code like, like other people read uh, uh, notes of a, of a classic symphony it's 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 art um but it's it's for me it's just like one part in the puzzle the real issue is and this is like where the Bauhaus thinking comes in it's just like you know completely 
taking the system on the other way around and going into other industries, you know. And the reason why Bauhaus was so disruptive is because they, they, they did reverse engineering. They said like, okay, we need a new form of product. And that is the form of product. And we now figure it out how to make it. Not like, okay, this is just what we have. Let's, let's do what we've got. It's like, no, the definition of what we've got is a different answer when you go into a different industry. And what also Bauhaus did is like, they went into manufacturing. You know, the, the, the famous, the famous um, chair, um, which, you know, was bent with metal. Yeah. Um, that was the first time. And the reason why they were able to do that is because they went into a metal bending manufacturer and learned that that's what you can actually do. And also it was had a very pragmatic approach just because you needed to develop products which are scalable, but yet useful, you know, yet pretty. And, and the answer for that was minimalism. So it came out, it came out of, of a complete new way of thinking. Um, and, and also keep in context the time when Bauhaus came. Bauhaus, that was like when, you know, system economy was in ruins and, you know, it died with, you know, the Second World War, but not in spirit. So, and again, like, don't we feel like that we're like in the middle of a war now? It's a different war, but it feels like this. So, of course, this is the perfect time to go back to the roots and plant them into different soil. Um, so uh, uh, that was one answer. The other answer is like what I to what I think what like in future um, what kind of garments we need. Um, well, I want to answer that with you know starting with like uh, what we see now out there, uh, protective gear. Our clothes need to do more than just to cover us. The job of our clothes is like they have to protect us. They have to protect us from attacks. You know, I, um, I saw this interview, Lisa, where uh, you said something, I'm not directly quoting, but something like that. You said that the clothing we wear is stupid. Clothes are not adapting to us. We are adapting to it. And the way we adapt is through constant replacement. I, I just love this. Yeah. And, and my question is, I think you were going in that direction, right? Do you believe this is, there is a lack of purpose right now in the, in the clothes that we're wearing, right? And we need to bring that functionality that we were talking uh, previously. And that, for example, some, what we talk about technical wear, like protective yeah. gears, but they are not ready or doesn't seem to be ready, to, don't seem to be ready to be uh, on a commercial kind of point of view, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so th th that was, that, that quote was like what I said in the old world before yeah. COVID, but it's <laughs> exactly. actually quite interesting because that argument is now even stronger and even more relevant in this new world because um, yeah, um, that we simply don't have the time and the resources to change our outfits all the time, especially when we're in lockdown, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we need to, and everybody who's been wearing masks you know, either for work or outside now, it's like how uncomfortable and awkward they are. Um, and this is, this is a job of a designer. You know, your job as a designer is now using something very technical, which is protective gear, because it is, you know, uh, function first um, uh, and implement it in a way so everybody can wear it comfortably uh, um, and doesn't feel awkward. Uh, and that is the job of a designer. But the designer can only do this if they have an un a technical understanding of fit, of textiles, of like, you know, electronic implementations, which you can do. It's absolutely possible. Um, um, with, 
you know, COVID-19, it's like, it's very important that you, that you have your, your body temperature in, uh, under control all the time, that you have your heartbeat controlled all the time, that you have a filter mechanism, doesn't matter if it's with electronics or, or with textiles, who protect you from attackers, meaning the virus. Um, and that is the job of your clothes now. You know, so again, we started with reverse engineering. So that is what your clothes have to do now. So now the question is, you know, how do we get there? And, and then we are back to the point, education. Now we have to get really the textile designers, engineers, the electronics and uh, 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 people into a room and say like, okay, so here we have the protective gear. Here is the knowledge around the technology there. But now we need the knowledge of a designer uh, to make it useful. Exactly. And do you believe that uh, this, uh, th so there's this need for uh, more functionality, multi-purpose uh, pieces, right? Adaptation of one piece of garment into, let's say, different roles. Um, do you see, um, do you see a, a, an industry that can really adapt to this? Or do, in some way, it does seem to me that maybe this lack of purpose does feed that sense of void in people that ultimately kind of lead us to where we are now uh let me just like address the point of purpose because like purpose is you know there are 50 shades of purpose yeah. also like <laughs> as in, in the old world it was there was like 50 shades of sustainability it, dep it depends like how you want to define it and how you want to exercise it on the one side there is in terms of branding and mi company mission the word purpose means like the the consumers are now far more sensitive to like where you spend your money because you know we all have a lot lack of money um so like where you spend your money for what particular pro uh, product becomes even more important that you're not only buying a product but you're also with with that purchase you also make a statement but you're also with that purpose, you're supporting your local factory. You're not only that local factory, but you're also supporting the textile manufacturer who's delivering to that brand, which you're buying your product for. Um, you know, so like that sense of purpose for the consumer has just absolutely increased, which was in the old world, just about to happen with uh, sustainability. So uh, that's one thing. And the other side also is, of course, is, now because we have we have to be even more sensitive where you spend the money that also means i need to spend money not on a function but on a product which combines several functions together so it's kind of like you know three things for the price of one exactly um and i mean you had a model and i really wanted to address this because i know you had a model on several talks um that you did and i think some of them were actually in portugal and the model was uh, what are we going to wear on mars right and yeah. uh, <laughs> i would love to hear about it and but also of course as a sustainability driven podcast i also wanted to ask not only what we are going to wear on mars but actually what should we wear on earth <laughs> See, and this, the interesting thing is, and this was like part of my way how to try to explain uh, uh, abstract, complicated things in in a in an interesting narrative. And you know, science fiction always has inspired uh, um, a lot of designers. I mean, like you know, we saw Amazon Voice and the the Apple iPod at uh, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek first, right? Um, 
and uh, uh, the moon boots were designed based on the protective gear from uh, astronauts. And stretch material has been made for astronaut first before it ended up in our underpants uh, in fashion. Um, so uh, knowing all of that history is, you know, and I remember like one of my history teachers always said like rule number one um, is that history always re repeats itself. Um, so like the, the the, the, the basic algorithm, here comes the engineer, there is a certain algorithm which re repeats all, all, um, um, all the time over. It comes, it comes in a different pattern, it comes in a different context, but the principle of innovation always has stayed the same. Um, so in the old world, I talked about what are we going to wear on Mars because I wanted to put it in a context is like if we travel to Mars, that means we are in a world, in an environment which has very restrictive resources and it forces us to use with these restricted resources and it forces us to be innovative because you can't simply argue, yeah, yeah but I don't want to work with that or like, no, I have a different idea. It's like, no, babe, um, you are on Mars and here are the tools and then MacGyver style, make something out of it. You know, there is a great power of innovation comes from restricted resources. And that was kind of like that thought experiment I wanted to do with um, uh, traveling to Mars. Also, of course, uh, um, uh, when we are on Mars, again, our clothes have to do more than cover us. They have to be protective. They have to be intelligent and I can't, change my clothes five times over when I'm working on Mars or on Jupiter or on, on the moon or like wherever, right? Um, uh, and the interesting thing is now also in this new world is like that we actually, now Mars came to Earth, right? We are in an environment where we have very restricted resources and it's, there's a very hostile environment out there at the moment where we leave our apartment and we need to be protected. So uh, it's, it's the same thought, it's the same sentiment and approach. Uh, it just got like very, very close. We don't have to travel to Mars to face that challenge. Um, so yeah, on, on, on that point is actually what I said in the old world, just like became far more relevant, far more quicker even than I thought. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Liz, I'm loving this journey on space that we're having right now and on the future through uh, technology. Uh, so much to talk about and we uh, kind of a treat for everyone. We're actually going to have a part two uh, of our conversation where we will focus more now on another uh, area of expertise of Lisa in political change towards sustainability. As, as we've been mentioning, Lisa has having a strong role, especially within the European Union. So Lisa, you will stick around with us. To everyone that's hearing us out, thank you so much for supporting, for hearing this early stage episodes of Sustainably in Love, the first of many, that's what we hope. And stick around because we have more with Lisa to come on a further episode. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Sustainably in Love. So what were your takings uh, from the episode? We really hope that you enjoyed it. And truthfully, our show could not grow without your support. Therefore, whether for good or bad, we would love to see your review on Apple iTunes or Spotify. And hope to see you on the next episode.